Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition. We are wrapping up our series titled Resolution today, talking about the five offerings in Leviticus and how they are intended to make resolution between God and his creation. I'm joined this week by lead pastor of Mission City Church, Russell Schultz. Russell, what's up, man? How are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Jake. Just doing great. Okay. All right. Fair Actually, enough. I have a, a pretty, pretty upset at our our uh, credit card company, but that's a different issue for okay. a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't want to name any names. Um, nope, no, don't want to, you know, don't want to do that, but right. having some issues. Yeah, at, okay, at the risk of derailing this podcast right from the start, sure. uh, I've got a quick question for you. Um, I've been thinking uh, about the origin of this podcast, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do it was just so that we could have some of the conversations that we would have not on air, but that would be helpful for someone listening to encourage them, inspire them, just give them something to think about, chew on. Something that I've been thinking about recently that's dawned on me and that I've kind of been just playing with as I read scripture is that I've been noticing that I almost feel like I could say that the entire Bible in some ways is uh, Genesis 1 through 3, uh, replaying itself over and over and over in different ways with expanded versions. And the whole idea is that God has this cre- has a creation and that he has given them a task or responsibility. They seize the opportunity to try to be like God and be rule and reign in their own way and not fulfill the task that God gave them. And then they are then exiled or face some kind of justice or judgment for it. And then God pursues them, and we start the cycle all over again. Restoration. Restoration. Resolution. If you will. Uh, And then we get to Jesus, who fulfills the commandment or the uh, instruction that God gave him. And then he becomes the, the Adam that was meant to be from the beginning, who actually fulfills what God has asked him. And through him, we set right Genesis 1 through 3, and then the process almost starts over again. Now we have a commandment from God. We are his creation. And although our command is no longer to live up to a certain set of, eh, we still have the moral and ethical codes that he's kind of given to us. But the reality is that we seek, we look to Jesus for the fulfillment of those things and his example, as opposed to kind of pre like those being like the, the hard and fast law that would, you know, lead to salvation in a way. Um, so, I don't know. I what do you think about that? Just initially, I feel like that's something that I've just been as I've been reading scripture lately that I've been looking at it through that lens and I just seem to see those same that same theme just on repeat over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, I think people historically have described like the the movements uh what you're talking about is like creation, you know, fall uh is that right? Creation fall? 
you said creation, command, fall, and then yeah, I think in between in between just the creation and the fall, there has to be some kind of like command or task or whatever, like responsibility. So to, yeah. yeah, responsibility to rule and to reign and have dominion in a good way that's loving yeah, and kind. That is kind of like the pattern, you know, uh, that is in scripture. But I I will say that Genesis chapter one through three definitely uh, sets up basically the whole theme and arc of the Bible, you know? Yeah. Because even in the end, we're in a, you know, a garden city. Yep. So we're right back into the garden. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, new, you know, new, new creation, but uh, it's gonna be nice. I, can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think and, and even in your own life, if you think about like the, if you think about, if you are a follower of Jesus, your own, uh, if you think about stages or uh, acts of your own life, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's the acts of uh, like, oh, introduction of meeting God. And then there's maybe a season of disobedience. And then you find some restoration and, and uh, repentance. And then there's resolution and you're reset. And then we kind of, we follow that own cycle personally. Right. Yep. Then we fall right back into. And corporately. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So thanks for agreeing. Uh, that's, that's my summary. Of Do you just everything. want me to, you're right, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Jake, you are, you are right. That's all I wanted. Thank you. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, um, so I've been thinking about that myself, and I've been thinking about how does that mean that every new cycle is a new Adam and Eve, a new opportunity to be perfect or to be holy with God? When we put our faith in Jesus, does that restore us in a sense of we have a new shot at being the garden humans that God created us to be and to be perfect or uh, to at least walk with him in a holy and righteous way? And so that's why I sent you a question recently about like, hey, after I put my faith in Jesus, I've been set free from sin or the slavery to it. Am I capable, in your opinion, of living a perfect life or or being holy? Uh, holy is probably not the right word. Um, being, uh, am I am I capable of not sinning, basically, like or living a life that's free from sin? Um, and so we had kind of a back and forth. I'm not sure I necessarily know exactly where I land. Um, I appreciate your position, and I think there's, that's probably where I will end up as well. But I've been wrestling with that. Just as like, you know, if that's if that's the cycle that I see over and over, and I'm a part of that cycle, then do I have the responsibility? Because I almost look at it as every time that cycle starts over, God is almost giving the people an opportunity to do it right again, and again they just fail over and over and over. Uh, so I yeah, any I mean, thoughts on that? I think it depends on like, uh, so if you're talking about like post Jesus, uh, you're probably talking, you're probably talking more in the context of post Jesus. The reason why Jesus did come is because the people had failed so many times and like, yeah, like God wanted to start over with Noah and Abraham and Moses and he almost tried to start over a second time with Moses. But even that, like not Moses still, every, every human fails along the way, uh, to fulfill, you, know, you can argue that Moses failed in his original call with the burning bush by not even wanting to take responsibility for speaking. Like that's not trusting God. That's not believing that God could work through him. And you could argue that's in some ways he missed out on his uh, place and 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 being used by God completely. Um, well, and his that that sin or failure to believe in God actually comes full circle in that he dies before he enters the promised land because he hits a rock instead of speaking to it. Right, like that's that. Yeah, he disobeys. He yeah, he in, disobeys, a different, in a different story, he disobeys God. Yeah, which ultimately, him, yeah. yeah, because he's afraid of that speech again. So yeah, his he come, kind of comes full circle there. But keep going. Yeah, I think it, some of it comes into. Um, so some of this comes into 
uh, a little bit of your kind of, I guess your, it's called soteriology is the, the big systematic word, which is like the, the study of like saving or the study of salvation. And, um, and so in the order of salvation, is there a time what you're asking where we are and you, you don't want to use the word holy, but I would use the word holy. Is there a time where we are completely holy and perfected? Mm -hmm. And uh, the, a lot of, a lot of people that I like fall, have a, 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 order of thought that's more about this already. So I'm already this thing. Like Jesus, there's a state that I already exist and that Jesus sees me as sinless, holy, perfect, but not yet fully. And so, and when I, when I today as Russell follower of Jesus, who's been following Jesus for, you know, about almost 30 years, when I today follow Jesus and do the things of the kingdom, then I am, I am fulfilling my vocation as a human being, as Christ followers, all these different things. But it doesn't mean that there isn't still, um, which I think this is where I think in Romans 7 where Paul talks about, I do the things I don't want to do. And and if you look at Paul's line, like thinking in his writing, he, he does, he'll, he, he can uh, talk himself up, uh, which we'll talk about that in a couple weeks and when we do Philippians 3 uh, on February 19th. But uh, he also will talk himself down talking about being a certain type of sinner. So like I'm the best of all these things. Cause he was a Pharisee and all, you know, I practiced the law, but still like he gets to the point where he says he's the chief of sinners. And so I think, I think it's more of a, we have the capacity because of what was purchased on the cross in Christ to live perfect and holy set apart under the, the institution of the kingdom of God that Jesus has established. And you can look at his teachings in the way of life that he has set it up. But at the same time, that there is an old self, my flesh, that is, that, that's how the, the Bible describes it, old man, the self, that, that is still something that I can, uh, uh, I have power over because of Christ and, and the Holy Spirit, but I can default back into uh, and that's where the the not yet fully comes in, and the thought where I already am all of these things, but not yet fully. Now there is there are schools of thought that do have um, that do have uh, it's it's called perfectionist theology. It's more like in a Wesleyan type of view, uh, and some of it is also a little bit more. They have a little bit more workspace stuff kind of built into their their thing, and they do like I had friends in seminary that were that way. There was a sweet old woman that I believe it was possible when her but only her uh, <laughs> uh the other uh joking and, and it, that was a lot um my only joke to that would be um uh when you said that i, I said well well when when did you believe in jesus and uh and how quickly do you die if it's like yeah i believe in jesus like you know a few minutes prior to death and then you die yeah maybe you were perfected in that moment for but but you are perfected you are holy you are those things so it's not it's one of those things but it, but am I incapable of sinning? You are. You actually are capable of overcoming sin because of the Holy Spirit. But will I also for my entire life? So far in my experience, it has not been the case. Hmm. Uh, that was all really good. I'm glad that you shared all that and gave me a lot to chew on. I think two things that came to mind immediately when you were talking. Uh, I'll give you the, the kind of the more humorous one first and then the serious one. So first, when you said that uh, there are people that believe this and there's a sweet old lady that you thought it might be possible with. There's a scene from the office. It always comes back to the office for me. Um, there's a scene in the office when Pam and Jim uh, are um, getting married and they uh, find out their, their grandmother, uh, Pam's grandma finds out that Pam's pregnant uh, before they got married. And uh, she's very religious, like very, 
devout woman um and so she she's very upset that when she finds this out and you know pam kind of says something along the lines of like well nobody's perfect you know and she goes well i wouldn't want to keep on living if i'd thought that (laughs) (laughs) so uh it's just that that was like a perfect tie-in to like there are definitely sweet old ladies out there now now who's jim (laughs) not important um (laughs) the other thing that stood out to me on a more serious note uh, you had mentioned Paul's perspective and this clicked for me for the first time as you were talking when Paul says, um, that he is the chief of sinners in my mind, I always thought that tied back to when he was a Pharisee and killing, you know, followers of Jesus and kind of really holding to the law and really acting in a way that Jesus came to set right and in course correct. Um, you make a good point in that he also talks about how he does what he does not want to do and how, you know, more likely it's that he's saying in general, like it's not that he stopped sinning the moment Jesus interrupted his life on the road to Emmaus. Like he actually probably continues on struggling with certain sins and things like that. I just have always read that passage as Tim talking about his previous life. Yeah, and he probably is a little bit of that, but I think when you see it in his letters, if you date his letters, the way even he describes it, I can't remember all of the languages. There's not a ton of them. There's four or five of them. But they progress into like, oh, that's oh, you're in a, you're like kind of bad but not that bad and it's like, oh, you're the worst. And they get they go from bad to worse. And I think that's why I think it's a little bit more prof- I don't, pro- yeah. not profound, but just that's where I think that's where Paul's at. Perfect. I think I said Emmaus. Is it Damascus? Did I say that incorrectly? Emmaus was the road that Jesus was on with the two people walking. There it the, is. Yeah. Yep. Damascus. Yeah. Damascus is where Paul gets that is blinded. True. Yeah. yeah. Uh, perfect. Glad I caught that before I had to do any kind of. Talk uh, about derailing a podcast, though. <laughs> talking about resolutions. Right. Hey, now that we're 12 minutes in, uh, <laughs> welcome to the Mission City Church podcast. Uh, so we're, we are talking, and this is eventually where I wanted to tie this in, is that uh, going back to what set this all up being, you know, the Genesis 1 through 3 passages kind of repeating themselves over and over. The the offerings that we've been talking about really are a new command that God is giving in order to set right uh, what happened in Genesis 3 in the fall and give his people an opportunity to go back to Genesis 1, to have relationship with him, to live as the created beings that he called them to be, to have dominion over the earth, to have rule and reign, and to be holy, a holy people set apart that bear his image to the world. Yep, That's what these offerings are for. Yep. And so we are we are right and smack dab in the middle of that cycle. And they are, yeah, and if you I mean, we didn't have time to do this, but if you would probably compare them to the offerings of other other um, nations around them and other people groups around them, it would it would differ in showing the character of Yahweh being so much different, which is the point to say that there is no God like Yahweh and and then and the, and he invites he has a people and you know, hopefully that this people will eventually, you know, uh, evangelize in some ways, but just share about this this amazing God. They yeah. don't because we see that the, the screw up of the rest of the Old Testament. But right, but it's interesting that so I totally agree with that. But it's interesting that he uses a medium through sacrifice and offerings that would have been it would have been common to them or, or other religions, other yeah. things that you're talking about. God being set apart, there's no God like him. The other gods uh, that people believed in would have. Required, required yeah. a sacrifice, yeah. or whatever. So God is using the route that the people know of to relate to a God. He's just doing it in a different way that sets his people apart and shows his character, like you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, a couple things before we get into today's offering, which I'm excited about. It's called the guilt or restitution offering. We'll get into all that in just a minute, but I want to do a couple follow-ups here. The first one is last week we kind of went down this rabbit trail of intentional or unintentional sin. And I wanted to give a follow-up on that, some further research that I've done. Uh, I, I want to be clear, the sin offering that we talked about last week is for unintentional sin. I think that's very clear in the scripture. But when I said that none of these offerings are really for intentional sin, I think that was there, that's probably not completely true or completely accurate. And we'll talk about some of that today. Uh, I think some of the examples of the guilt or restitution offering are... They seem pretty uh, intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They are for uh, some sins that I, I think you'd have a hard time making a case in a, in a court of law that they were not done intentionally. In, in, a, in uh, you know deeper research kind of note here, the word intentional that we talked about that all got brought up because this numbers 15 passage, you know, that says if someone sins intentionally, they're cut off. They should be kicked out. Um, that word is translated literally high handed. Um, in other words, it's to completely like deny God and his commandments, turn your back on his teachings, basically claim yourself as God. And the thing that I find interesting about that is one, I don't think that that necessarily is like intentional to me, isn't the perfect translation there because it seems to me like that correlates more to I'm trying to elevate myself above God. I'm trying to prove that I am God or that God doesn't exist, which is different than I did something that God asked me to do to not do. And I did it intentionally. Like, you know, like I, I don't think it's fair to say that every time that we do something intentionally against God, we are trying to, take over as God, or we have the intention of trying to be God. Yeah. Uh, and so those two things are different to me. I don't think it's the perfect translation. And like we mentioned before, some of our examples today will kind of highlight that, but I wanted to point that out and to just say that I do think that there is offering or there is opportunity for the person who sins intentionally, but it's not a sin of high handedness or trying to take the place of God. Uh, in that situation where you have someone. So again, going back to this is a, a holy society set apart by God, given these offerings to be a certain way, to present themselves in a certain way to the rest of the world, that this is the one true God of the world. The person who says this isn't the one true God, or I, I don't believe that these commandments set us apart or whatever, that person really has declared, I'm not a part of this society. Yeah by saying that the one defining characteristic of this society I don't believe in. So when we talk about them being set outside the camp or cut off, it's like, well, they're kind of cutting themselves off. Yeah. And so that that process was really helpful for me because I agree with you in kind of our conversation last week that that didn't really seem to line up with the character of God to just say you're cut off as we've talked about. These offerings are even an example of God pursuing his people when they choose to go a different way. And so uh, that made a lot more sense to me. I think that really it does a better job of kind of clarifying the point of what the intentional, if you will, sin in Numbers 15 was talking about. Yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that from last week. Yep. Uh, another thing, and I really appreciate it. So we have some great listeners to the podcast that bring up some questions and comments and different things. I really appreciate all the feedback that we get. Uh, I truly do. That's not sarcastic at all. Um, and, and when that happens, what it does is it challenges me to then go back and do further research. And one of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to, I get to learn so much. And so I appreciate all of that. Uh, you had actually mentioned this as well. And so I went back and did some further research on one of the things that we talked about in the previous episode. And I wanted to share that as well. So uh, we had made the comment that the only time that 
you know, potentially the only time that Israel, the Israelites would eat meat was when the peace offering was given because the animals that were used in these sacrifices were then said in Leviticus 17 that if you were to shed their blood or whatever, you would be guilty of murder in a sense or killing these animals, and that was unlawful. And so in my brain, it was like, well, if these animals can only be killed and, you know, to be sacrificed, then you must not eat meat. But you brought up a good point in that podcast about what what about chickens or animals that are not named, you know, sure. <laughs> as part of this. Birds. What about f- birds, fish, you know, things like that. And so I went back, did some additional research, and I think you're right. I think I was wrong about this one. Um, and I say wrong. I was really just kind of regurgitating some of the information that I had researched. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're just reading. Um, I'll still say I was wrong. I'll own it. Uh, but anyway, if you go back, if you go forward... Uh, there is a passage in Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 11, and where people, the people of God are beginning to complain that they've been out in the wilderness, they've left Egypt over a year ago, and they don't have any meat <laughs> officially, or uh, they specifically mention fish. Like we, back in Egypt, we had fish. Nile River. <laughs> Apparently, they forgot they were also slaves. I don't like, but that was the that was their big complaint. We were only eating this manna, the stuff that God drops from heaven. It's like you know, ends up being just these bready cakes, and like we want meat. We we miss the meat. We feel like our strength is failing because we haven't eaten meat. And so God provides quail, which is kind of a funny thing because it says it's from the sea. And if you know anything about quail, they're not really birds that you would find around the sea they don't fly very far um but later on i found the connection here later on there's a passage that talks about how they were actually numbered like the sands of the sea and so god basically is just dropping you know all this meat and he actually in numbers 11 if you go back and do the research really fascinating how god talks about how much he's going to how much meat he's going to give them he's like okay you want meat i'll show you meat uh and then there's a whole rabbit trail that he puts a plague on the people who eat it and everything. But the point being, <laughs> the point being, I do think that there was a meat that was lawful for them to eat. I think that the sacrificial animals were only to be eaten in terms of sacrifice, but there were other animals and meat that was available to them outside of just those sacrificial animals. It would, would make available. sense though. If you were, I've been thinking about this too a little bit. If you were devout, you know, because you would imagine the whole society is not going to be devout. So some people are just going to do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, God's kind of put parameters on when, when, and, and where to do that. Also, too, just some of the other offerings we talked about too, like meat was valuable. So it's not like it's not the same. Like when I'm thinking about no meat, what do you mean? Like I eat meat three times a day. You know, right? Yesterday was like the first day in a long time that I didn't have like I had fish for dinner, but I didn't have you know chicken or. I had no no animal from the from land, right? I, don't, I couldn't tell you the last time that's happened. Which is maybe my doctor might say, "Well, Russell, you probably should do that more often." But um, it's not like you go to the grocery store. It's like, yeah, I'll have you know six pound of lamb today, or lamb, give me some lamb shank. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been special. Right. So it's not it's not like so overwhelming to go. Well, they never have meat, and right. also like we do a sacred thing when we when we have the meat. Uh, but it's also to say like, yeah, they probably have some chickens, some birds. Yeah, uh, I think this begs a question, though, we should ask. Would you rather be a vegetarian that's free or a carnivore that's a slave? (laughs) Well, I am trying to eat less meat. So I guess being free and being what? So complete straight up and down vegetarian, not like a pescatarian or a. uh, Ooh. 
I do love my veggies though. And I love freedom. <laughs> I choose freedom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, and I, you might listen to that and think that we're being ridiculous, but that's truly what they're complaining about. That's, that's the, that's the, what's facing them is do we eat bread every meal and be free or do we go back to slavery and eat fish? That's yeah. the complaint. Also, uh, not what we're talking about today. And then we can go jump into what we're talking about today. But like, there's it's very much so like uh, fantasizing or like glorifying the past, you know, which I think sometimes we do. They're like glorifying slavery. Yeah. In the moment, like, oh, I wish we could go back. It's like, do you? That, that seems really offensive to God. It too. does, but also like in your own life, like you know, there's things like where you you've way you've grown so much more, and then like you might be you know elevating a season of life where it's like, yeah, that would have been a fun time, but right. it's over, you know? Grow up, Peter Pan. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's jump into some observations from the text on our sacrifice for today, our offering for today. Again, I t- this is either, in some translations, the guilt offering or restitution offering. It's named, in some places, an unintentional sin involving something that God intended for holiness, used for something that's common. Uh, a lot of times you'll also see there's a lot of words actually used for this relationship of holy or common uh, to profane something. We think of <laughs> watch your profanity. Um, if you see, <laughs> sorry, uh, but if you think of that, we think of that as like you're saying a four letter word or that you've cursed something or whatever. A lot of times, what when you see in your Bible like they profaned it or whatever, that's what they're saying. What they're saying truly is you took something holy and you made it common. You made it seem you took its value away. You yep. made it seem wow. lesser than than what it was intended for. That's powerful. Yeah, and so this is that's that's the idea of what's happening here in this offering is hey when you've taken something that God intended for holy or for a special purpose and you treat it as common or you treat it as lesser than you don't take care of it you need to make restitution for that you need to make an offer you're guilty and you mm-hmm. need to do something about it yeah. So uh, what would be offered is a, a ram without blemish or its equivalent in silver shekels, which is fun. Uh, probably something that we didn't consider. Like we t- we've talked oftentimes about maybe not having a currency or a common currency. I think even though there is mention here of silver shekels, we're talking about pieces of silver uh, as being weighted, another. Right. What's that? What, it's a weight of silver, right? It's a weight of silver. It's also something that, you know, it's a very finite resource, so to have any kind of silver on hand uh, would be tough, but yeah, apparently it was possible, and then later on we'll see money it becomes more common. But sure. an animal is probably much more common than, than shekels at yeah. this point of silver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you would bring that, not only would you bring that, though, you would add one-fifth to whatever you brought, um, and you would give that to the priest, you would also have to, that would be your additional portion that would be, so put it this way. If you were in a disagreement with a, with a friend today and you wanted to make it right, say, say you're watching a national championship game with your brother and uh, the, you get so excited that you throw something at the TV and it breaks. This is just a hypothetical. I don't know anybody that this has happened to recently. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, if you were not the owner of that TV, the right thing to do in our society's eyes would be that you would either pay whatever the TV costs or more, more appropriate would be probably to go out to the store, buy them a new TV that was of similar value, you know, and, and pay that back, right? However, this offering requires you to add on to that. 
So whatever the weight or whatever the uh, amount was that you owed or that you broke or that you used inappropriately, you needed to add one-fifth onto that because not only did you do something wrong against your fellow human, you've also wronged God as the one who said this was holy or even just if you you know we god says that his people bear his image and so in a way you're you're wronging him as well yeah uh we see usual kind of uh status quo with the blood and the fat that always goes to god and then the meat that one-fifth extra portion or depending on what the sacrifice is uh goes to the priest and the priest can eat all of it but only in a holy place Hmm. is holy and set apart set apart now, uh, I want to spend a little bit more time talking about this whole idea of the what I wronged you plus one-fifth and how that – that's a, probably a weird concept to us. Yeah, like uh, why, one, why, one, why extra? Yeah, I think we <laughs> – I think more likely we're in our society – and I'm, I'll, I'll give a story about myself just to put this into my own terms so I'm not outing anybody. But we're more likely to try to squeeze every dollar out of the devaluing of something as opposed to like – living maybe generously like we should and just like, Oh, I, I broke that. I should do everything I can to make it right or whatever. Um, so I'll tell you this story, uh, about when I was in college, uh, when I first moved into a dorm or this is actually the second dorm that I lived in, but I moved in with, uh, my best friend and we bought a a used TV together. It was one that had been like fixed and it, it was originally broken. The guy, there was a guy that bought broken TVs, fixed them and resold them. So it's like refurbished, right? So we buy this TV. We, uh, I believe that we lived together for a year and a half, maybe, or just a year, maybe. I think he maybe second semester of his sophomore year, he moved off campus, something like that. Um, but at the, as we parted ways, uh, I had paid. So we split the TV, but I had paid more originally up front, and so we agreed. You know, I if it would be up to me, I'd get first crack at if I wanted to keep the TV or not. Sure. Naturally, I paid yeah. more, right? And he wanted for me to basically buy his portion of the TV out. Yep. And I was like, well, wait a second. Like, from the time that we purchased this, this TV is not worth the same amount that it was then. Now, I looking back on me, I'm like, well, you know, I get it. Broke college student trying to save every dollar he can. But I was kind of an idiot. Like, not that I necessarily... I still, in some ways, think that I was right about that. Did you go uh, value, go and find the value of the current market value of the TV? I didn't, but like I wanted to, right? Like I wanted to say, you know, hey, this is dep- this is depreciated, you know? Like you drive a car off the lot, it's not worth the same amount when you take it back to the dealership. Anyway, uh, but I look back and I go, you're an idiot. Like that was your friend. We are splitting hairs over the depreciation of a TV that was... How much was this TV? I don't know, man. I think we the reason we bought it was because it was actually a pretty good deal. It's actually the TV that I still own in my living room now. Oh, um, okay. So I did end up buying him out. Did you pay him what he wanted? Yes. Threw it at him. Uh, <laughs> literally had the bills in my hand. Just threw it at him one day because I was so fed up about the whole argument. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I think I want to say the TV cost is like two, 200 bucks, 250 bucks. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think, yeah, I don't, I want to say mine, my portion was like hundred and a little over hundred, 120 and he paid 80 or something. Let's say, let's just say that's, that's pretty close. So I paid 120, he paid 80. Seems like you're still doing pretty good if you still have that TV. 
Yeah. Oh, it worked out. Yeah, absolutely worth the 80 bucks yeah. uh, to buy them out on it. So, it, yeah, it all worked out. But I bring all that up just to say, like, that's our natural human response is in, like, a lot of ways to try to get as much value or to be as cheap as we can about something. At, at least that was mine at the time. And what this is really stating is, like, no, like, you should be generous with the person that you have wronged and not just be generous with them, but understand that when you wrong a human being, that's someone that's made in the image of God, and you have not just offended them, but you've offended God by uh, hurting someone that's his creation that's made in his image. Yeah, I think I, as I've looked at this, that, that's probably the more, this is the powerful one for me, because, you know, a lot of these offerings are, are yes, they're to God, but they're also, it's just straight sinful against him. You know, like, I wronged, I wronged you, Lord, I did this, whatever. Um, but this one to me is like, God showing how much he, he does care about humanity, how much he cares about creation, you know, and that like there is a worth or a value to people. There's a worth or value to um, time, energy stuff. And so I think, uh, I think it's actually a really cool way to say that. Yeah. Like I, uh, one, I need to look, I, I need to care about the people around me. Like I need to actually care. And if I do sin against them, like I need to acknowledge the weight of that. Like we talk about the weight of sin. And I think I, when I think about that as of how I have wronged God, but when I wrong others, like God is equally, uh, equally offended. Right. I think that's, that's, that is, you're, you're absolutely right. That's the point. Um, and so uh, to just challenge you as the listener to be, to look, if you don't currently to look at the world that way, when you have wronged a yeah. human being, you've wronged God. Yeah, and like as opposed to now, you talking about you do it from a financial standpoint, but we like a lot of times it's like petty, just trying to prove that we were in the right. You know, mm-hmm. like we don't. There's not a lot of ownership nowadays. It's actually a lot of avoiding. And um, I uh, I um, bumped a old car in a parking lot one time. Uh, went out with the the truck. It's like one of the first times. That's why I back. If you want want to have people back in trucks, it's because so I don't hit something when I'm trying to back out of a parking spot. But I I bumped this old car and uh, the person wasn't there because it was a parking lot. But you could just see like all of the people around me, just like they were in the parking lot, were like, "Is that guy gonna write a note?" Like they're gonna they were like wanted to see, you know. And even in, were you wearing a Mission City Church apparel? When you- no, I wasn't. <laughs> I will say I had already pulled into this parking spot, and one of my friends complained about not being able to get out of the car. And uh, Alex Howell, I blame you. Uh, he knows this, I, and so he, he won't listen to this. But if he does, I blame him. Uh, and so I re back out, and we're in a tight parking spot, and uh, and I, you know, it, tight space meaning like there's not a ton of space to back up. And so in my frustration, uh, I hit this car. Uh, with the the ball of the the truck, <laughs> anyway. So it doesn't matter. I but I will say like the if in, if I remember that moment, I'm like oh, maybe it's fine, you know. Like you just think to yourself, maybe it's fine. Um, and uh, but you know what? Do, what do you do? You write your note, you put your name on it, you sign it. You the guy calls, hey, I have insurance. This is you know I've already talked to my insurance. They're going to take care of you. And now you know, I'm a, like you should do that. You shouldn't. You shouldn't hit and run, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and then if if I was back in the Old Testament days, I'd add a fifth and give it to the Lord, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what, what maybe the, I don't amount, know how, yeah. the amount you'd add a couple shekels, you know, yeah, to, as whatever. Uh, I I want to point out, I love that you started that story with 
uh, about taking responsibility. Yeah. And the whole example is about taking responsibility. And halfway through, you started blaming someone else. for. (laughs) I'm a human being, Jake. I'm a human being. (laughs) It's still your fault, Alex. Uh, Well, let's talk about a few of these. Oh, hang on. One more thing before we get into this. Uh, And this is kind of an example. So maybe this is a good segue. But I believe that when, when Jesus later on is going to say... Uh, I think this is on Sermon on the Mount. Um, not not exactly sure, uh, but he's going to talk about how when you are going to the temple to make an offering or uh, when you're to give money or to make prayer or whatever, um, that you should... Uh, and you and you realize that you have a, a conflict with a brother. Yep. He says you should go and make right that conflict before you come to the temple and make, make your offering. This is what he's talking about. I think this is exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's the restitution. It's you should go and be generous with your brother who you have wronged and make sure that that is right before you come and then make your you know penance with God that you have wronged someone made in his, his, his image. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Give some context for that too. Yeah. Sometimes absolutely. it's like, do I need to do like go apologize for every little thing, you know, and like maybe yes, but but also it's like no, like there's like uh, a lot of the examples in the Old Testament you're about to get into were like major wrong wrongs, it feels like. Yeah, like the I, I don't have the examples of that were immediately listed as like give the guilt offering when you do this. It's, they're all like lying, stealing, cheating, which is why it's like I maybe I'm wrong. I have I have not yet thought of a scenario where you could steal something from someone unintentionally. Nope. That that's a tough one. You know, like we talked about the intentional versus unintentional sin. I guess you could probably like put something in your pocket and forget it's there and walk away, but I don't think that this that's what this is talking about. No. Uh so yeah, you, like this is lying, cheating, stealing, taking something like if you were to borrow um your neighbor's donkey for example, and to run it into the ground, you know, you're just making it plowed day and night and like wearing it out and it like breaks a leg or something, you know, like that would also require restitution. You'd need to make that right with your brother, a a donkey and a a fifth, Um, a donkey and a fifth, a donkey's leg and a fifth. Right. So yeah. Um, let's give some examples here, uh, from other parts of the Bible. So in Leviticus chapter 14, um, and I think this is similar to the sin offering, but they would also offer a guilt offering in the case of cleansing a leper once they're healed. Um, some blood of the guilt offering goes on the healed person on their right ear, right thumb and right big toe. Whoa. Yeah. Which is interesting. Did you do any research about that? The other place that, so glad you asked the other place that you would do that is when you are, consecrating or anointing a priest huh. to step into their priestly duties. Always the right ear, right finger, right thumb. and Right, right ear, right thumb, right ear lobe, right thumb, and right big toe. Huh. Because the thought is that that is that you are purifying. Remember, blood is the life. It's purifying the whole blameless animal. But it would purify what they hear, purify what they do, purify where they go. Huh. So as a leper, you know you're you're cleansing yourself in that sense. Because, That's cool. Yeah, it's the three main things. You should write that, that down do. for a sermon illustration. Well, it's out there. I'm not the first person that's thought of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, another uh, area where this pops up, Leviticus 19, and this is, I wrestle with it. I have a hard time with this one, Russell. But I wanted to bring it up on the podcast because I thought it was like significant enough, and it's in the Bible, so it needs to be talked about. All right. Leviticus 19 says, if a man sleeps with a slave who is not his own, he must offer a guilt offering. 
I don't think a Ram is worthy of this type of sin. I also don't think that this is possible unintentionally. <laughs> Go no. back to that. Yeah, there's not a lot of context there. There is not a lot of context. So this could be consensual. Could um, be romantic, yeah. Yes, could be, yes. Um, I, I, you know, I wonder, because we talked about this pre-podcast, I do wonder if it actually is giving, you might be like, that's harsh. Like, what? It's not like, you know, it's not. I wonder if it's actually giving the slave person, uh, the slave woman, uh, actually some rights. You know what I'm saying? Like, because yeah. like who, in what society would it matter? You know what I mean? Right. Like, and not like, not to say it in a worth standpoint, I'm just saying like, if it is a, I mean, we're talking at this point, you're talking, what, 6,000 years ago, maybe? Or is it 4,000 years ago? Ish? Ish, yeah. Ish. So, uh, you know, like the, to, to me to say like the, the slave person, the slave girl can actually go to her owner and say, Hey, like I've been wronged. Like that actually could be a, uh, like a, could be for safety in some ways. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I think I just got stuck on the whole idea that like this, it feels like there should be a greater penalty here, especially since the whole like description of this is like, because she's not free, this is the offering that you can make and you're not actually guilty of like something harsher basically. Yeah. Like you would be like put to death if she was not right. If she was free. Right. You know? Um, and so, and I get that too. Like I, I'm, I'm there too. I'm just trying to, you know, maybe I'm trying to redeem it, but yeah, well, no. And I appreciate that. Cause I think there's a chance that it's like, this could be a somewhat of a bride price as well. Uh, uh you know, making up for like your, is she now, your your wife in that sense or is she part of your own household something like that i don't know i just i felt icky reading that yeah no it seems like there should be more All right or like if how harsh the how harsh god comes down on sexual sin yeah it's like why is that not a stoning offense right and i'm glad that you brought that up because this is another aspect of the guilt offering, restitution offering that I think is important. There are a number of places that the guilt or restitution offering highlight sexual sin. And we see this in the New Testament as well. That uh, I, We talked about this a little bit before. I should have found a reference. But um, you know, the New Testament talks about the sin against your body, your own body being different or sexual sin being different than other sins. It's not it, just a sin against other people. It's, it's a sin against yourself. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. It's important that we recognize that we are made in the image of God and that we have a holiness to us because of that and that God has created us for holy purposes and that when we use our own bodies for things that are against God's command, when we use them for things that are common and mm. not for holiness, mm. we are disrupting what God intended them for and that there is a break in the process there. There's a break in what God meant to happen here and that's part of this this commandment or this uh, this offering is it it is often tied to some kind of sexual action because human bodies are made in the image of God and they have that special weight and they are made for holiness and so when yes. we treat them as common that's a problem and so in some ways it's like a if you yeah so if you're because you're sinning against yourself you're almost like need to have restitution for oneself yeah you know Which that is whole but if you think about, yeah, which is, yeah, the whole idea, though, the common versus holy kind of thing you're talking about, um, it, that reminds me of like kind of the sin stuff we talked about, where it's like when you do an, 
when you do sin, like you 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 cease to be human, mm-hmm. where it becomes unhuman. Like the illustration you gave, that's that's an inhumane thing, especially mm-hmm. if it's not. I mean, if it's consensual, we don't know, right? Like, hey, we want I want to marry your slave. I don't know if that's the thing, but if it's like not and it's forced, then that's a those are big issues, and we start doing things. We say are common that are holy, but it's like we do things that that are in, uh, uh, inhumane. Yeah, which <laughs> we don't think of it that way, but that's the same thing. Because we are made to be more than just common, right. we are made to be holy. Right. To do things that are unhuman makes a holy thing common. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It takes away value. Yeah, so, that's good. Uh, in First Samuel chapters five and six, uh, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and God inflicts them with tumors and plagues, and so they want to send it back. <laughs> they they want to return on this investment that they've stolen, uh, and God requires uh, they go to this priest or uh, prophet, and he says God asks for a guilt offering, uh, and to to make it right. So they need golden tumors and rats. Yep, <laughs> which sounds really disgusting, but it's also the plagues that God gave them. So it's like I need you to make a golden version in your human way of what I've inflicted you with. And it's somewhat of a remembrance of never take my presence away from my people ever again, Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is cool. But the idea that they've made the ark, which is holy and God's presence common and just set it next to one of their own gods, that the false God, you know, again, holiness yeah. and common is they don't mix. No good. Yeah. In Proverbs 14, nine, it says that fools mock the guilt offering, but upright, the upright enjoy acceptance. I think that's really interesting. Just the idea of, I think it goes back to that common and holy thing. Like you mock this because you don't understand that you are accepted by a holy God and you think that you are common or something like that. And and so you mock this. Um, All right. Let's jump into something, a story that I think is a good wrap up to our offering series. And one thing that I think is important. Okay. A little wrap up. Yeah. So God throughout this the the offerings are basically mostly described in Leviticus one through seven, uh, and it's funny we talk about that cycle of Genesis one through three, and you're like, man, it only takes three chapters for humanity to go from perf- like the good place, living in the presence of God, all things good, abundance of food, and all this prosperity and beautiful and wonderful, to falling out of it and being exiled. Well. It only takes us from chapter 7 to chapter 10 <laughs> until the, the priests, who are the ones that were literally supposed to be the ones that keeping this all in check and doing this all right, are the ones that screw it all up. Yep. So, And they do so by taking something that is meant to be holy making it common. and making it common. So in uh, chapter yeah, chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, it says this. Now, uh, Nadab and Abihu, uh, these are sons of Aaron, each took his censer, which a censer is like a little plate that's on chains that has like an incense. Uh, yep. yep. Uh, and they put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, some versions say alien fire before the Lord, Ooh. which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. That's uh, so why we don't play with daddy's toys. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's why we don't use a screwdriver as a hammer. Yeah. 
that's why when something is holy, you treat it as holy and not as common. This fire, this process of lighting incense or having smells go to God a certain way are laid out very specifically by God for holy purposes, for the reasons that he's set out. And when we go into his presence and treat it as common or devalue it or do things with things that he says are holy, going back to each other, yep, and we treat them as common or lesser than, it's a big deal to God. Yeah. And it costs these priests their lives. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of this has been, there's a, um, you know, w- w- in the early two thousands and maybe even later than that, the, there's been almost like a, there's almost like a taking away of tradition and taking away of like the kind of the sacred or like the, 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 we call it the high church, but like just this, like the awe inspiringness of God, you know, it's like a postmodern kind of movement, a little bit of that, but also just like, in in churches, at least the churches that I was a part of, like, yeah, we we don't need that because of like the like it was almost like a it was a good understanding of grace and just like freedom that you have in Christ. But in the same sense, I do think in some ways, like we don't have this like awe inspiring like wowness of, around God all the time, you know, like and maybe maybe we don't. Another way to say it is we don't we don't see the weight of the holiness of God or His glory. Um, all the time. And I think something like a series like this is really helpful to go, no, God is sacred and holy and set apart and he is deserves glory. And there is, uh, there is consequences to sin and there is consequences to hurting someone or, or abusing someone. And God takes it seriously. Yeah, exactly. And not only is God holy instead of what you are holy instead of what your brother yeah. is, set up, your yeah. sister is, your family, like, the people around, the human beings, and this gets lost so much in our day and age, and I, I, I hate to go on this ramble. If you listen to the Book Club podcast, you probably know where I stand on this, but in our day of like social media and texting and all of that where we can, instead of actually having a person face-to-face with us where we can just see them on a screen, it kind of dehumanizes them. We can say whatever we want without any consequences, all of that. It's like you no longer see other human beings as human, and that is a problem because we treat things that are holy as common. And you are you, you yourself, as you're listening, you are a holy creature made by God. And so you, it, treating yourself as common is, it's a, it's a, it's a reframing, it's a, it's a brokenness that we have in us. And we pursue things that are common and replace what is holy with what is common. I'll, I'll summarize the passage that we just read. And, and what I'm, my point is this, is an unholy use of what God deems holy is deadly. And that's what, that's why we die from sin. That's why the wages of sin is death. Yeah. When we treat something that is holy as common, it is deadly. Hmm. And it ultimately leads, you know, might not be immediate like this, but it ultimately leads to our death. Um, all right. <laughs> On top of this, not only does the priest blow it in chapter 10, just a few chapters later, there's also going to be a categorical failure from the people of God as they move on. So last week we had mentioned about how the sin offering has these like tears to it, right? And we talked about the responsibility kind of not really being a caste system, but you have this division of responsibility and based off of how much responsibility you had cost you a certain amount when you would break that responsibility, things like that. And you see, and as we go forward into numbers, that these categories are going to one by one fall away from God. And I never see a sin offering mentioned. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But it's like, it's almost like God 
well, he probably, he does know what's about to happen, but it's like God foretold us based off of these categories, the sequence of events that was about to take place. It's like foreshadowing based off of these, these categories of sin offering. So in Numbers chapter 11, the commoners beg for meat. We talked about that before. You know, they just the common people wanted fish or meat or whatever. They're upset with what God's provided for them. They are rebelling against God in that sense. In Numbers 13, just a couple of verses later, or chapters later, the leaders of the people are sent out to spy out the land, the promised land, but they give a false report, making it sound like they people shouldn't go in there. Numbers 14, the whole congregation turns against Moses. And in Numbers 16, the priests rebel against Moses. So these four categories of the commoner, the, the leader of the people, the whole congregation, and then the priest, they're laid out in Leviticus, just one book later as they travel towards the promised land, are going to categorically all turn their back on God and his provision and the people that he's put in place to, to lead them. I, it's the, cycle, the cycle just it always repeats itself. It does. It's sometimes it's super frustrating, <laughs> but I'm a part of that cycle. So <laughs> it is. It's, yeah. And then, you know, that's why, you know, because of the resolution of Jesus, that there's a future hope that we have. And this is why you look for and look forward to the day that Christ comes. Right. And to bring this full circle, I just think with all of these, all of these offerings, systematically, God's trying to set right. Again, the reason why we call this resolution is because God's offering a, a new solution, a resolution for the problems that took place in the garden. And he's going to, again, time and time again, create new solutions for us, ultimately ending with Jesus, who was the perfect culmination of all five of these offerings that he offers us, ways in the presence of God, sacrifice for sin, opportunity for restitution with our brother, opportunity for peace with our, our neighbor and God, and it's incredible. That's the final restitution resolution. Um, it's it's a sad ending in a way, but it's also a freeing and um, perfect ending for us to find this resolution that we've been longing for for the entirety of humanity. It's hmm. good. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode. Before I guess I didn't ask you. Do you have anything else you want to add about the whole series or this episode or anything? Any final thoughts from you, Russell? No, I've enjoyed it. I think it's been good. It's been I've learned for me just to take some time and spend some time with the sacrifices. But I've really I've really enjoyed this. Awesome, thank you. Uh, I'm glad that you have. I hope you too, as a listener, have. Next week we start a new series titled "The Kingdom of Heaven." Uh, if you aren't aware, one of Jesus's primary uh, reasons for coming to the world, uh, on top of sacrificing ultimately for these sins and taking place of all these offerings, was that he wanted to announce that the kingdom of heaven was was here, was at hand, and that he was uh, harboring it in. The King has come. Uh, to sit on his throne and to offer salvation to the world. And so uh, we want to take a look at some parables that talk about how that Jesus told uh, to talk about what that looked like. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? What are the aspects to look like? And, you know, there's a lot of discussion of like, what's heaven going to look like eventually? Or what is the end time? What's the next age going to look like? And I think Jesus gives us some clues. He also tells us today how to live in our own kingdom of heaven right here on earth. And so really excited about that series, really excited about all the things that I'm going to learn, that we're going to share, and uh, encourage you to check that out. It's going to start next week. Again, thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We love you guys. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. 
We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.